1: Welcome to the midside, where we're growing older and staying just as wise. I'm your host, Justin M. the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Man, does it feel good to hear that music again. It's been a while since I talked to William. It's been a while since I talked to you all. I've basically just been... Buried in the mat room since Christmas. Well, I, I will say after Christmas, I had to spend a week in California because that's where my wife's family is from. That is the worst part of the break we've been on. Uh, but since that, I've basically been in the mat room. Just finished up this past Friday. So you'll be hearing this episode on a Monday. Finished up this past Friday with girls regionals for wrestling. So there are four regional tournaments in the state of Florida. Uh, First, a wrestler has to finish in the top four in her district to qualify for the regional tournament, and then she has to qualify for the top, or she has to finish in the top four in her region to qualify for states. I was able to get 10 of my 11 girls through to regionals, which is pretty awesome. We finished second as a team behind the defending state champions, who they just have a lot of wrestlers on the team, right? We don't have a full lineup, A full lineups, uh, 13 girls, we have 11. Uh, they have a full lineup plus a bunch of backups. So they've got absolutely full room, which is tough to get with girls wrestling as it's still a developing sport. Uh, then again, we got second as a team in regionals behind the defending state champions. And I got six of my 10 girls who were through the to- or in the tournament through to states. Uh, Three of them were regional champions. Probably the best story from that is I had a girl who my 125 pounder finished fourth in the district and absolutely the, the best district in the state by far. All All the girls who finished in that top four are highly ranked and she finished fourth and she was absolutely devastated because, you know, she beat a girl in the first round pretty quickly and then. Based on the bracket, she was able to go to the third, fourth place match because there was an empty spot, so she got a bye. And she qualified automatically. Uh, so, she, sorry, she, she lost in the semis. And then because of that, her blood round match, blood round is the, the round you have to win in order to qualify for the next tournament, was a bye just to, based upon how the, the bracket worked out. So she automatically qualified for regions that way. But she then lost the third, fourth place match and got fourth. Uh, So she was absolutely devastated. You know, to go out there and, and lose in that way, your last two go one and two in the tournament, still go on to regionals. That's not, you know, that's not very exciting. That's tough to deal with psychologically. But she came back and beat three district champions in the regional tournament in order to win regions. She pinned three girls, wrestled four matches, pinned three girls, and in the semifinal, she was losing and then in the last ten seconds she took a girl down to her back to win by a point to advance to the semi or to the finals. Uh the girl she beat in the semis is the girl she lost to for the conference tournament. So great comeback. Uh a lot of exciting things. Great to have three regional champions, six girls going on to states. And in a couple of weeks here when I record, I'll be really, really tired because we usually record on Sundays and the state tournament is March 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, which is a uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I'm going to be absolutely exhausted that Sunday. But hopefully, uh, I, I'm a good exhausted where I'm in a good mood because of that. And, and just to give you an idea of how much wrestling is taking up my, my life now, I'm actually getting texts from one of my coaches, one of my co-coaches here, who's at a kids tournament right now. Uh, his daughter will hopefully be wrestling on my team in a couple of years uh, about the kids tournament that's going on right now. So always going on. Can't escape it. It's what I love. And hopefully, you know, the success. I'm experiencing, we're experiencing is not just the system I'm in, but I'm also contributing enough to say it's I'm responsible for it on some level. But I'm not the only one who's been experiencing success over the past you know, month and a half. Let's bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green.
0: Hello, hello.
1: Yeah, it's been a very
0: productive break uh, for me as well. A couple of trips out to Germany for work and um, things are going good with that. Uh, the, the startup I'm working with is getting really close to a big, uh, big, achievement so uh maybe can share more eventually on that and that's pretty cool and then uh and just and i were talking pre-show uh i just uh emptied my pocketbooks and uh and uh we're we've got two additional stores in development for the restaurant so that brings three stores in development and it's like huge we're doing doing really well and you know really working a lot with the staff and and growing our future leaders to to handle this incredible growth we might open two stores this year uh justin up in northern california so uh that's it's pretty exciting and it's uh been a lot of hard work and it's it's a lot of stress and uh you know uh it, it's uh it's a different different thing when you're uh, you know every 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 once in a while i have to stop and re- remind myself like God damn like I'm I you know I just did a you know $55,000 payroll right like like it's crazy right like the the that you know to be responsible to have this much responsibility and and really know that like there's a lot of people counting on you and you have to uh you know you have to deliver
2: and uh but it's uh, also a lot of fun and very 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 fulfilling
1: Yeah I mean I think that that's something that's often forgotten you know, in in the current culture, which is like so anti-capitalist, anti-the-man, quote-unquote, is this idea that, you know, Reagan called it trickle-down economics. We don't have to go into that whole theory, but the idea that your success helps many other people be successful and that you're compensated not just for the work you're doing, but the effect the work you're doing has on so many other people. I mean, think about how people always talk about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk don't deserve the money they have without looking at the, uh, ironically, looking at the um, externalities of their work. And I think that's what you're starting to experience and notice on a very immediate level.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we've been um, reaching out, like, thinking about, well, who do we want to partner with? We always partner with a charity when we open stores and, like, it's actually like it's actually nice to have such uh, a good track record to point to and say like, hey, you can work with us, and this is the kind of stuff that we can do together. And and then and seeing our our leaders in the store like taking a huge interest in that, right, and saying like, oh yeah, like let's like you know this this school or this uh, this band or this uh, you know this marching band or this uh, this uh, sports team, this local sports team that everyone loves. These
2: are all things that people are interested in, and like, can we partner with them? And it's really interesting. That sounds great. You know what else is
1: really interesting, William? As we've continued to improve and grow and progress, the people who claim to be on the side of progress have only grown the farce. Do you want to get into it? Let's go. Let's do it in Life on the Midside.
0: Take a good look around, just like...
1: As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's midside.com slash Patreon, themidside.com slash Locals. We certainly appreciate all the people who continued to support us during our month and a half long break on Locals. That's great that you guys didn't suspend your subscription for that month. Much much appreciated, and hopefully the content we will bring to you now will more than make up for that time we needed to take off, because unless you wanted this to turn into a, a Florida girls wrestling podcast, it, <laughs> w- it was better off. We can, charge, we can charge $7 a month like Cabra Plus, but I don't know if I should have said that, but eh, whatever. All right, so the farce marched on, William, and the first one I want to talk about here is... Uh, one that sort of talks about like the slow creep of the culture war and the way this is always progressing. I think one of the things we've talked about is, you know, we went from the gay rights movement to the trans rights movement. Now we have all these issues with gender and everything. And I, when I say we have these issues, I mean, we as a culture in America are debating and discussing these things and these things are on the table. But really what I've always said is it's a slow creep to, to change the window. Is, is the word the Overton window? Yeah, Liam? that's the word. Yeah. Yeah. You say I know that from you because that's one of your favorite catchphrases is the Overton window. Slow, slightly changing it just a little bit. Millimeters all the time. And this next story is an example of it. So. The the headline is, is your baby non-binary social workers in Pennsylvania are now required to say, and it says Pennsylvania's office, Pennsylvania's Office of Child Development and Early Learning, which funds health and social programs for young children requires providers to report demographic information on their cases, including, since 2022, the gender identity of infants. Data collection forms for the agency now ask for newborns' gender rather than their sex and allow providers to select male, female, or gender non-binary. Here's the thing, William. It's really easy to just argue this is an innocuous change. It doesn't make a difference. Who cares? Just check the box and get funding. Because as it says, it's required. You're not going to get your funding for uh, whatever issue you may have if you don't check this box. Here's my problem with it, though, William. The change from gender to sex. Because I actually agree that if we're talking gender and gender is social constructs and it's about how somebody identifies then you would probably have to put gender non-binary or gender unidentified, because how the fuck can a baby, a newborn, have a gender? They don't know. I, how do they I, communicate it?
0: Hold on, Justin, I think you're ahead. wrong. We know from okay. social justice that men are born with original sin. They're part of the patriarchy as soon as they're born. So well, unless they... True. so I, If they can be born with this original sin of the patriarchy, just by being an infant and being being male, then I think they can they can have a gender, but... Yeah, you know, putting well, that well, argument.
1: Let, let me push back on that a little bit. Is All that right. only if you choose to identify as male? So then the logic would follow that it's the parents indoctrinating you to identify as male and then you get that original sin? So well, it's it, only until that moment. It's whoever. So
0: that that gets us back to the other phrase that entered the parlance uh, a few years back. Assigned at birth.
2: Yeah. So let's say the doctor in his infinite wisdom, oh, now nobody's Uh Let's say the uh, the
0: doctor, in his infinite wisdom, was when you're born, identifies you as male. Then, unfortunately, you've been you've been cursed, right? It's sort of like a, you know, I don't know what religious things the doctor could have done
2: instead to to declare you gender non-binary, but maybe he should have.
1: He should have declared you gender nonbinary. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That way, that way
0: you don't have that original sin. He can bless it away, right? If he assigns you non-binary at birth. Or like yeah. despite your penis, just assigns you female.
1: Well, right. And that but that's see, that's really the issue here, right? The issue here is the form saying gender and not sex. Because even if you identify as whatever gender you want or feel like, right, biologically, medically, your sex is still relevant mm. to treatment. And why here on a, a government forum are we more concerned with gender than sex?
0: Well, Justin, we've already seen the alternative, which is sex assigned at birth, right? People use that term too. Like it's somehow assigned by a doctor.
1: Yeah, and that that's a that's a greater issue here is the continued conflation of this and continued moving away from reality. I've
0: I've been I've been backed into a corner on this, uh, rhetorically because this is like, I, I cannot, I have no defense, uh, rhetorically against calling this stuff, child abuse, right? If you're going to assign a gender to a a child, this is child abuse to me.
1: Well, yeah. And this, this rhetoric you're talking about actually goes toward the last, uh, story we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. Right. Which, you know, you may not seem like it because, you know, we're talking about like renaming of schools and donors. But there's a rhetoric here, William, and and you're really getting at it. And you did it in the same thing last year when you talked about reparations for all of the covid lockdowns that happened is the idea that. This is a moral line and people need to start taking a stance on it. Otherwise, this slow decay is going to continue.
0: Yeah, and there are groups that are standing up to this, Justin. I know over the break the gays against groomers stuff has really taken off on Twitter, and there's a there's a, actually a Long Beach chapter now, and uh, and it's uh, you know these are folks that are standing up against trans kids, and uh, one of their mottos is save the tomboys, and it's uh, you know it's it affects both uh, men and women. But uh, there, it seems like the uh, the lesbians are going to save us here um, from the from the transing of everyone.
1: Well, yeah, and don't even get me started on the whole grooming thing because this is something I was thinking about recently. Like, that's a word that you want to talk about how that's been claimed, right? Yeah. That's been used in such a negative way. Remember when you used to like groom a horse to be a, a thoroughbred yeah. r- racing horse, or groom a mentor to to be the next CEO. Oh, okay. Now you understand where I'm going as a wrestling coach. How can I talk about the, well, I just have to say developing now, you know, yeah. I'm developing a middle schooler to be a state champion yeah. one day. I can't say grooming because especially coaching girls, how weird does that sound nowadays? Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the term this has been, a... has been turned into a negative.
1: Right. Because we've dropped context for everything, which actually leads perfectly into the next story. Uh, so mother Jones has an article about why you should stop eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And what's interesting about this, William, is there's actually quite a bit of this. I agree with, but it's the (laughs) solution that I disagree with. Well,
0: and we have to, before you get into the article, we have to talk about this, this progression happened during the break. So there was, I don't remember if it was a mother Jones story. I'll have to look it up. There was another article headline when inflation was just really people were starting the m- mainstream media um was just starting to notice and actually talk about inflation they were like why you should skip breakfast uh for in the name of like saving money for inflation right and 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 so and then it the headline turned in, like you know months a month goes by and now the headline is you should just skip all meals
1: <laughs> yeah and uh, and then then they made eggs ridiculously expensive so no one can afford breakfast anyway yeah yeah so. So I'm going to read a bunch from this article. Because there was also a, a race angle to this as well, right? Wait, is is three meals a day racist? I mean, that's what the subtext is of this article. And, and we'll get into that as well. So it says, as it turns out, the concept of three square meals a day has practically zero to do with your actual metabolic needs. First of all, I disagree with that statement and our dogmatic adherence to breakfast lunch and dinner might actually be making us sick. This is where I kind of agree, right? Now to continue. Historian Abigail Carroll, author of the book Three Squares: The Invention of the American Meal, explained to me, the author, that the thrice daily eating schedule goes back to goes back at least as far as the middle ages in Europe. Uh by the way, in the in the document that I'm reading from, that I copy and paste quotes from the article, William just deleted a repeated word, the. That's in the original article, William. I just copied and pasted it. I didn't add anything. So they can't even edit their own articles No, properly. they can't. Goes back at least as far as the Middle Ages in Europe. Okay. When European settlers got to America, see the race angle developing, William? They also imported their meal habits. Uh, three meals a is meal.
0: colonialist. I get it now.
1: Correct a light meal, maybe cold mush and radishes, in the morning, a heavier cooked one midday, and a third meal similar to the first one later in the day. They observed that the eating schedule of the native tribes was less rigid. The volume and timing of their eating varied with the seasons. Sometimes when food was scarce, they fasted. The Europeans took this as evidence that natives <laughs> were uncivilized. <Wait> a <laughs>
0: Like let's internalize that statement for a second. Sometimes when food was scarce, they fasted. Isn't that a tautology?
1: Yeah, it's not. Re- it's, well, it's it's a, <laughs> it is, but it isn't because it's ascribing intentionality when there is none. Yeah, like you're not fasting when food is scarce. There's just no food available to eat. I mean, maybe you could argue like it's a fast, like it's a, initially when you're not yeah, eating, it's a fast, yeah. <laughs> right? But it's like it's just a fast because you have no other options. You're not choosing to fast.
0: Uh, right. So when my fridge is empty and I, and I, and I don't bother to order DoorDash uh, it's, uh, and, and I have no money to order DoorDash, then it's just a fast. I could just call
1: it a fast. Right. When you have no money, that's, that metaphor is equivalent. Not when you just didn't bother to order it. This is literally saying, like, there are no buffalo to, to kill and eat, and it's, so it's a fast.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So the Europeans took this as evidence that natives were uncivilized. See the race angle here, William? Yeah. Carol explained to me in an email, civilized people are properly and boundaried their eating. That's not even correct grammar. Thus differentiating themselves from the animal kingdom where grazing is the norm. Okay. This is where this statement, this quote here is where I'm going to take issue in a second. So fascinated were Europeans with tribes eating patterns, notes Carol, that they actually watch native Americans eat as a form of entertainment. I don't want to touch that because we minute. still do that. It's I was going to say, we still
0: do that. How is that? How is that? <laughs> Have they not seen the Anthony? Uh, Anthony Bourdain did a whole, like, what? Nine seasons of that.
1: Right. Where we just go around the world and we look at how different people eat. Yes. Yeah. That's that's not racist. That's just humans oh being God. curious about each other. <laughs> the three daily meals that the settlers brought evolved with Americans lifestyles. As people became more prosperous, they added meat to breakfast and dinner. After the Industrial Revolution, when people began to work away from home, the midday meal became a more casual affair, and the cook meal shifted to the end of the day when workers came home. The one thing that did not change was the overall amount of food that people ate, despite the fact that they had largely abandoned the active lifestyles of the farm in favor of sedentary ones in cities and suburbs. Instead of obsessing about meal size and frequency, Christopher Ochner, A weight loss and nutrition expert at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York recommends something similar. Don't eat when it's time for a meal. Eat when you feel hungry. That he says is a lost art. In industrialized societies where food is abundant, we eat because of social cues or just because something smells good. If we can teach ourselves to pay attention to our own bodies instead of our environment, he says, that might be the best diet of all. So William... I agree that this issue of standardizing three meals a day and when to eat and what to eat at those times is unhealthy because it doesn't pay attention to every individual's needs. Yeah. Do you have a statement or do you have a problem with that statement I just made?
0: I, I think it's nuanced, but I agree. I, I think that it's, you have to, I think the po- the problem is where the, this gets back to something I'm sure you're going to mention, which is. We're we're splitting the mind and the body here. There's nothing yes, wrong that's exactly with eating. What I'm say. There's nothing wrong with eating based on social cues when the environment is right. You know, if I'm going to lunch with you know a business lunch meeting, of course I'm going to eat. What am I going to do? Sit there and do nothing? Right? Like it, it, it's it, it is a eating is a social function for us, right? Yes, As humans. There, there's so, that. Yes. So like, well, may, maybe I don't order a nine course meal, but. You know, I'm going to participate. It's part of the social custom, right? Um, at the same time, yeah, you should definitely listen to your body, but that also comes with its own caveats. You know, my body tells me to eat cake and ice cream all the time, That right? I mean, like, if we're going to listen to our body, like that could be taken the wrong way, too. We can't separate out the fact that we have values and we need to know what is good for us, what is not good for us, independent of what our body tells us, right? If I'm, I'm craving th- a giant bowl of ice cream, it doesn't mean I should eat it.
1: Yes and no. I'm going to take that last premise you just said and build on it. Our body tells us what we train it to tell us. This is what you're talking about when you're saying, I'm going to talk about the relationship between mind and body. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to that statement. Civilized people ate properly and bounded their eating, thus differentiating themselves from the animal kingdom where grazing is the norm. That's the entire point. If you simply pay, if from birth, you simply pay attention to your body, what is going to happen? You are just going to eat when food is available and not eat when no food is available. You are not optimizing your body. You are not using what the human animal is known for, is advantaged with, which is the mind. The human mind has metacognition. The ability to look at, oh, I can develop a system in which I know when food is going to be available and what food I need, and I can train my body to eat those foods and expect those foods at certain times. Look, I'm not telling everyone to become a bodybuilder, but look at the way bodybuilders, and I'm talking about natural bodybuilders, ignore the ones who are on steroids, right? But look at the what you can achieve, look at what they achieve with their body based upon that whatever body you want you can develop a system for whatever lifestyle you want you can develop a system for and yes that is being civilized yeah and that is part of the problem here that is a big part of the problem everyone wants us to become more animalistic and this is this is an example of it yeah. It's, Justin, I have a I great example color-
0: of that. Years oh. ago, years ago, when I first figured out that, um, I have a severe intolerance to gluten, people would ask me, well, don't you miss pizza or bread or, you know, pasta? And I was like, honestly, no. Right. Like to me, that, like that represents me being, you know, 45 pounds heavier and severely inflamed and, you know, always tired. And uh, to me, yes. it brings up all those things. Right. Now, I still like ice cream, right? (laughs) Like, you know, but so like there are still food things that are not necessarily good for me uh, that I still like. But there are certain things that I 100% attribute to that previous, you know, that that previous almost illness that I
1: had. Dude, it's like breaking up with, with someone. It's like, don't you miss that relationship? No, because my mind learned why it was bad for me. And I've gotten over the grief and realized I'm better off without it. Yeah. It, that's the same thing with you and gluten, right? Like yep. maybe you were with, so you, I mean, I know you're, you're gay, but you were with a woman named Lucy, right? <laughs> and you, now that you broke up with Glucie, like you don't want to be with her anymore because like you said, you were 45 pounds heavier and because your body was inflamed. And don't we see this where yeah. we see people who are overweight and then they break up with someone? I mean, Am I the only one who sees these accounts on social media about like, oh, look at how much better I'm doing without my toxic ex? You know, I'm not comfortable with all these terms and everything, but hey, it's the same thing. Train your mind to have the life, to have the relationship you want. And it's a relationship with food, too. So, yeah, that's why I agree. Three square meals probably doesn't work for everyone. I'm better off just eating at different times in the day because that's what my body expects. I don't really like to eat breakfast all that much right but when i was bulking i had to yeah right it's it's what are you trying to achieve and training your body to expect that because let me tell you talking about gluten talking about sugar if you eat sugar all the time your body will crave it but here's a challenge for all of you out here who don't believe what i'm saying go a month without sugar and then try and have sugar again your body will feel physically ill actually one of my wrestlers works at an ice cream shop and I've tried to eat at her ice cream shop twice. And the two times I've eaten there, I felt sick. I can eat other ice cream, but that ice cream shop, I can't eat it. And she says to me, she goes, coach, you don't eat much sugar. And there's a lot of sugar in our ice cream. And it makes me sick because of it, because you can train your body. And that's what this, this article is missing. It's taking one system that's Going too far with rationalism, right? Yeah. William, three square meals a day is, is rationalism. Oh, we should all follow this system. It works, blah, blah, blah. And then it's going in the other direction, going pure materialism or emotionalism, where there is a, 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 shall we say it, a mid-side here, William?
0: Yeah, I think there is. Listen to your body, understand, though, your values, and act appropriately, and your body will eventually start to align with what your, your values are.
1: Right, exactly. Your body will eventually align with your values if you are using your metacognition to be aware of what you're doing. Well said. Well, talking about people being aware of what they're doing in the long run, holy shit, William, is 1984
0: real? Ooh, man. This is opening up a huge can of worms. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this one.
1: What's What's really crazy to me about this is how the, um, the uh, estate is complicit in this. That's what's really crazy to me. So recently it's come out and the headline is "Role Dolls books rewritten to remove language deemed offensive. And I actually, I was going to go through and find like specific quotes from this Guardian article, theguardian.com, but I couldn't because this whole article is just, I, ha- I have to read the whole thing. Fortunately, it's not very long. Rolled Dahl's children books are being rewritten to remove language deemed offensive by the publisher, Puffin. Now I'm going to pause here for a second, William. I wish it was just by the publisher. Yeah. This article demonstrates it's by social uh, pressure, not just by the publisher themselves. Puffin has hired sensitivity readers to rewrite chunks of the author's text to make sure the books can continue to be enjoyed by all today, resulting in extensive changes across Dahl's work. Edits have been made to description of characters' physical appearances. The word "fat" has been cut from every new edition of relevant in books, while the word per- "ugly" has been called. The Daily Telegraph reported. I'm going to stop there. Even the difference between the word "fat" and "ugly." "Ugly," you can maybe argue is pr- uh, prescriptive, right? The idea that that's a personal preference, a personal opinion, but "fat" is a purely descriptive word, is it not, William? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Augustus Gloop and Charlie in the Chocolate Factory is now described as enormous. In the Twits, Mrs. Twit is no longer ugly and beastly, but just beastly. That that seems unfair to the beast to me. I mean, look at the article we just read. That's true. It, hundreds of changes were made to the original text and some passages not written by Dahl have been added. Let's just let's just sit for a second. Some passages not written by Dahl have been added but the Roald Dahl story company said it's not unusual to review the language during a new print run, and any changes were small and carefully considered. Which tells us, they've been doing this for a long time! In The Witches, a paragraph explaining that witches are bald beneath their wigs ends with the new line, There are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs, and there is certainly nothing wrong with that. In the previous edition of James and the Giant Peach, the centipede sings, Aunt Sponge was terrifically fat, and tremendously flabby at that, and Aunt Spiker was thin as a wire, and dry as a bone, only drier. Both verses have been removed, and in their place are the rhymes, Aunt Sponge was a nasty old brute, and deserves to be squashed by half the fruit, and Aunt Spiker was much of the same, and deserves half of the blame. References to female characters have been... Sorry, references to female characters have disappeared. Miss Trunchbull in Matilda, once a most formidable female, is now a most formidable woman. Gender-neutral terms have been added in places where Charlie and the Chocolate Factory's Oompa Loompas were small men. They are now small people. The Cloud Men and James and the Giants Peach have become Cloud People. Puffin and the Roald Dahl Story Company made the changes in conjunction with Inclusive Minds. Which his spokesperson describes as a collective, emphasis mine, for people who are passionate about inclusion and accessibility in children's literature. Because apparently we need to make the villains more accessible to children. Hmm. Alexandra Strick, a co-founder of the Inclusive Mind, said they aim to ensure authentic representation by working closely with the book world and with those who have lived experience of any facet. Of diversity. (coughs) Continues. A notice from the publisher sits at the bottom of the copyright page of the latest edition of Dahl's books. The wonderful words of Roald Dahl can transport you to different worlds and introduce you to the most marvelous characters. This book was written many years ago, and so we regularly review the language to ensure that it can continue to be enjoyed by all today. A spokesperson for the Roald Dahl Story Company said. When publishing new print runs of books written years ago, it is not unusual to review the language used alongside updating other details, including a book's cover and page layout. That's another discussion. Our guiding principle throughout has been to maintain the storylines, characters, and irreverence, and the irreverence and sharp-edged spirit of the original text. Any changes made have been small and carefully considered. William, this returns to the first story. How long? How many small changes can you make before the Overton window is completely shifted or the ship of thesis is no longer the ship of thesis?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, Justin, like what books should be next? I mean, Huck Finn comes to mind, right? We need to change that. There's a lot of non-inclusive language in that, a lot of non-inclusive characters. I mean, we should just remove the whole plot elements of of Huck Finn um, and make it safe for children, right? Think of uh, The Hobbit um all the all the gendered language in the hobbit we should uh, just just uh, slice up token's work what about beowulf or uh historical texts like we we definitely got to modernize those and get rid of all the sexism and racism and otherism and colonialism and otherisms like how can we have any stories except for modern woke stories like we should we, why, why are we even going to doll's books we should you, sh- you should read uh, some of those uh uh you know uh woke children's books right we, we should just, so just say we
1: should burn his books?
0: Yeah, all of them. Yeah. Why why even why even do this? Like we've we I know it's been a theme for the last couple seasons, but this is religious, right? This is a religious drive, right? To this is the this is this is a impulse to remake things to make them follow your dogma and not appreciate the things, the art for what they are. And this is really crazy. It it I, I, I think I tweeted about this. Um and this is why you have to have physical copies of things. You know, I just um they're doing this, uh Justin, to um to your beloved Scrooge McDuck right now, too. In the comics world. Um they're they're rewriting panels of uh of the titular Scrooge McDuck series uh, that 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 the original Ducktales was based on, um, and taking out uh, all the things they find offensive, and they're rewriting dialogue, re- changing panels, um, getting rid of things, uh, and that there's no for this. So the next reprint will just erase bunch of things that are like iconic about uh, about uh, Scrooge. I, I in protest, I bought a physical copy of the, one of the anthologies of of the original. Which DuckTales one did authors. you buy? Uh, hold on. I it's uh it's downstairs. I don't know if I can see it right now. Did you Give me buy a second it off and I'll Amazon? I bought it on Amazon. Yes, I did.
1: The complete life and times of Scrooge McDuck Deluxe mm-hmm. Edition. Probably yes. You bastard! You're the reason the price has gone up on me. So <laughs> I have it in my cart and I'm monitoring the price. It was at like one fifty. What did you buy it for? One fifty. Okay, now it's up to two twenty-five. It's your fault. I should have oh, bought man. it when it was one fifty. Yeah. Well, you because, get a yeah, lucky has, dime if you buy it. It's it's big it, too. Right. It's nice size. I like it. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and I'm gonna get it eventually, and I'll pay the two fifty if I have to. But it it does exist, and yeah, this is why buy, buying physical media is important. But th- but there's two other premises here that I want to sort of pull apart. William and 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 one underlies the other one is just the complete misunderstanding of um, art and these what it is is these people cannot make art on their own because they don't understand it and so they are changing the things they know people will be drawn to to push their agenda and what I mean by that is they're seeing art in a disintegrated manner they think they can change the language of Roald doll, and that that's not going to change the overall piece of art where it will that'd be like, oh well, we find the color you know black offensive, so we're going to change the the Mona Lisa to be a redhead for more representation. Let me say it the better that way. let me say it better we We think there are too many brunettes, and redheads aren't represented enough, so we're going to make the Mona Lisa a redhead and it's not going to, we're not going to change anything about the, the painting. We're just going to make it red. And we're going to use the same quote unquote a, approach to painting, but that's going to fundamentally change the painting. And it's the same thing here. They're, they're changing style. One of the five elements of, of literature and thinking it's going to keep it the same because they can't do it on their own. And really what undermines this William is this is pure collectivism. Now, I know the author is dead, right? And, you know, I don't believe in any sort of afterlife or anything. So you can't really disrespect the author. But you're disrespecting the concept of individualism and showing everybody else that their work doesn't matter. And them as an individual doesn't matter because anything you create can be changed to better serve the collective at any time. And that's exactly what's happening here is they're changing the work of Roald Dahl to serve the collective doesn't matter what he wrote doesn't matter what the story is we're going to use the stuff we like that he did and take out the stuff we didn't like that he did because that thing that he worked on on his own doesn't really exist it only exists because we allow it to exist and i don't know how that's not terrifying to people that they they can't do something themselves so they think they can just change something that somebody else made because the individual doesn't matter and the collective matters the most
0: yeah it's just it it really draws up you know what the christians did during the crusades destroying a bunch of art um what the islamists do today destroying art it's the same it's the same thing and it's it's uh even art i I disagree with. yeah even even art i disagree with you know i would never want it destroyed like this right right even piss christ i would
1: not want it destroyed it's not destroyed though look If someone wants to destroy Piss Christ, I get it. They're angry. They want to destroy it. They think it's evil. This is more insidious than that, William. Again, I'm with you. I wouldn't want to destroy it. I'd rather have it exist so I can explain to people what's wrong with it, right? I've never said I don't want the Marvel movies to exist. I want them to exist. I want them to exist so I can talk to people about what they did to Iron Man, what they did to Tony Stark. It's good. They get to make that. People are First of all, people get enjoyment out of it. They're entertained. and. I can take the valuable things and use that to have a discussion about the harmful things. I don't need it destroyed because I have confidence and self-esteem. And I know that what I believe, I believe to be correct and I've seen it be successful. So I don't need to destroy it. But they're doing worse than that. If they were just burning books, I would say, okay, you know, that's fucked up. That's evil, but you're just burning books. Well, they're taking it and they're changing it to make it theirs. Again, the Overton window. We keep shifting this, right? How long until Charlie and the Chocolate Factory becomes Charlie and the Seizing of the Means of Production?
0: Yeah. Justin, you're... How long until... It's it's putting art down the memory hole, right? Yes. Like, we'll never... We won't have Mona Lisa anymore. We'll have uh, body positive Lisa, right? We won't have... Well, that's what
1: I'm saying. Uh, Eventually, Charlie... The way Charlie's going to win the Chocolate Factory is not to have Willy Wonka... It's to unionize the Oompa Loompas. That's exactly what I was just going to say. The, the story as is, is Willie Wonka recognizes the, ver- he tests the kids and finds the virtue of Charlie who can run a business in line with his values. Eventually it's going to become freeing the Oompa Loompas so they can own the factory together and run it as they see wish because they're, as they see wish because they're s- enslaved. Check back with me in 10 years and see if I'm right. <laughs> at the very least somebody's going to make that version of the story. Yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet.
0: <laughs> I'm sure we can I'm sure we can google it
1: and find it. All right, one final example of this happening and somebody trying to fight back and we can discuss how to properly fight back here. Although perhaps the way to properly fight back is to uh witness the farce, right, William? That's how I fight back. So a descendant of a donor to a law school demands that the law school pay back $3.6 billion after woke activists strip school name. Virginia lawyer Robert C. Smith is the great-grandson of T.C. Williams, the name behind the University of Richmond's T.C. Williams School of Law. Despite Williams' estate regularly donating to the university, the T.C. Williams School of Law was stripped of its name. The University of Richmond School of Law voted to adopt a policy that prohibits the university from naming any building, program, professorship, or entity for a person who directly engaged in the trafficking and or enslavement of others or openly advocated for the enslavement of people. The university had found that Williams was a slave owner. Records show that Williams' businesses were taxed on owning 25 to 40 enslaved people. The university said personal tax records for Williams show that he was taxed on owning three enslaved people. Smith pushes back against the move to dename the law school. So uh, Robert C. Smith, not the dead guy, because obviously the dead guy can't push back because he's dead. But unclear writing, so I had to clarify. Pushes back against the move to dename the law school, claiming that the university is caving to woke activists and would not exist without the $3.6 billion amount of financial contribution from generations of Williams family members. Now here's the deal, William. I think this is a clear PR move by Robert C. Smith. I think he knows there's no way the university can pay the money back. And he's making a point. His point that the university would not exist without that money is 100% correct. And what he's saying is the exact response to all of these people. Oh, the let's get rid of the three square meals that came with European settlers in the Industrial Revolution. Oh, yeah? Maybe, but that is what this country was founded on, and it would have worked without it, right? Oh, well, let's get rid of the statues of all the people who are enslaved. Yeah, but that doesn't change the fact that this country was built on their legacy. How many people are going to understand this point that Smith is making? That, yeah, this guy owns slaves, and yeah, that's fucked up, and we recognize it. And again, even Thomas Jefferson recognized that. He even said that. He said, we know slavery is a moral blight on our great experiment, but we can't fix everything, right? How many people are going to realize that if we're really going to just do this, we can't just throw out the names. We have to throw out everything that they gave us, too. If these people are really immoral, we can't erase just the name because by erasing just the name, we're erasing what they gave. As yeah. Well the history
0: yeah i think you're I think you're right, justin like the the only solution for the University of Virginia is to close down its doors and then destroy all of the buildings and all the scientific equipment and the libraries and everything just destroy it all, and so three point eight billion doesn't or three point six billion doesn't seem like enough it should they, they he should bankrupt the entire endowment should go should go away right the the money, the physical infrastructure everything should go away.
1: This reminds me of a line from The Big Lebowski, uh, where the, the Walter Sobczak, right, the Polish character, played by John Goodman, he says, Nihilist, fuck me. I mean, say what you want about the tenets of national socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. Like, that's what I feel like here, William. It's like, yeah. say what you want about, like, communism and the idea of, oh, the working class must rise up and continual, you know, classes battles and tearing down the system at least fucking be honest like say you know this university is evil because it's founded by e- the money of evil people and the contributions of evil people so we're going to destroy it and start our own instead of this subversive way they're doing it isn't the subversive way this is being done completely fucking disgusting yeah it's completely dishonest right
0: it's uh it's like
1: we're constantly being gaslit into believing what's happening isn't happening. Yeah. And it's not like
0: the it's not like their ideals today at the university uh, is anything, anything that any of the people, these supposed immoral slave owners would agree with today.
1: Right. It, it, I feel like it goes back to what Adam Krolis says about people who didn't support Trump or who hated Trump. Right. I want to say hated, not didn't support because he said hated people who hated Trump, hated their fathers. I, this is what it feels like. It feels like you're living in your parents' house, and you're mad at your dad, and you're like, "Oh, I'm not gonna tell anybody you're my dad," but he's still paying your phone bill and buying your food. Like, you doesn't can be that mad describe at while you're every warm.
0: every everyone in the current uh, generation?
1: Yes,
2: that's my point. So I don't know. I don't.
1: I don't know how we get people to understand this point. It's 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 it's, it's to me. One thing I don't know if we talk about it as much, but I see it so much as a teacher is, and I might have brought it up in this show before, I don't remember if I have, but people are so comfortable. Yeah, we brought this point up. People are so comfortable, right? And I say this to my my kids, right? I go, it's a quality of life issue. You can always have Netflix and McDonald's available to you, right? We've developed society into such a way that in America, everyone can always have Netflix and McDonald's available to you. Even if you work a minimum wage job, you can find a way to have a place to live. You know, you'll be living with other people, but you'll always be able to watch Netflix and eat McDonald's. And like we were saying with the food article, you can train your body to be okay with that. But that's going to lower your quality of life. And that's really what this is all about, is recognizing why the quality of life exists now and not throwing the baby out with the bathwater.
2: how depressing how is that depressing <laughs> not just
0: just the the i'm i just keep coming back to like there are things now like you know we've on the internet we've we've talked about like the ideal was oh you will be able to you know retrieve any sort of information and everything will be at your fingertips and you know thank god for things like archive.org right like this this rewriting of history is is I think it's gonna make it a lot harder for folks to harder than when harder than when before the internet existed to actually find
2: the truth. And I think that's that makes me a little bit sad.
1: Yeah, I I'm, that makes me more scared and determined than sad, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah. We and
0: we, the promise of the internet I think is still possible though. I just uh you know, it's just like wow, what a what a destructive effort, right? to just well, rewrite I, everything
1: yeah and i wouldn't even couch it as the the um promise of the internet i mean that's what you're describing is just the promise of human existence and the yeah. internet is just a tool that helps maximize that or not this is the same battle that's been going on from the history of humanity is it not yeah true true there was lots of uh, all those monks copying texts back in the dark ages you think they didn't make little changes Right. And you think like when the printing press was invented, there weren't little changes. And you think the same thing wasn't said. Oh, wow. This opens up the ability that we can spread so much. But then there were other people like, oh, but now we can change things and we can influence the way people think. It's the same battle. It's just the scale changes and the exact nuances of the issues change. But people always say, what's the human condition? This is the human condition. It's not head versus heart. Yeah. How do we deal with all of this? Yep. All right, speaking of that, let's talk about the way uh, some people have tried to do that over the new releases of the year 2023 so far in The Hopeful Bromantic with JML. I wasn't focused on as always if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week you can do so by joining our discord channel if you go to the midside.com or the midside.com/podcast you click on any episode link in there you will find a link to join our discord channel love to hear from you love to hear some farce you'd like us to witness some farce you have witnessed and if you ever want to drop any trailers for trailer takedown you can do so in that channel so my plan right now is to talk to you about the seven movies I've seen so far this year. I'm not going to talk about all seven in depth. Um, I'm just going to sort of give a brief rundown of you know, how many stars for each. But I don't know if it's my internet or... If um, it's the app Letterboxd, which I'm on, you can search for the midside on Letterboxd and you'll find all my reviews and such. I know some midsiders out there have been following that in the off-season because, I mean, obviously we're about a month and a half into the year and I've seen seven movies, so that's about a movie a week. Are we seven weeks into the year, William, or are we eight? What are we in right now?
2: I don't know. Is this your start? What's about...
1: It's about it's about seven. So, but when I click on I clicked away from my list and now I can't get back to it. But I think it's down. Uh, I can't get to it either. <laughs> okay. So apparently Letterbox went down. So all the cinephiles or whatever the fuck those kids call themselves on on um, Twitter and social media are, are I don't know what they're gonna do. But oh, and by the way, uh, a positive thing. Have you seen the show Shrinking on Apple TV? No, I haven't. Uh it's by Bill Lawrence. He's the same guy who does Ted Lasso, he did Scrubs, he did Cougar Town. Shrinking uh stars Jason Segal and Harrison Ford. And it's it's set in Pasadena. Okay. And it's about Jason Segal, Segal's character who's a shrink, who works in the, a therapist, you know, he works in the same office as Harrison Ford's character, who's also a therapist. And um it's basically just Cougar Town set in Pasadena. So if you enjoyed Cougar Town and if you enjoyed anything Bill Lawrence has done. You'll enjoy it. But the reason I'm pointing it out is like Harrison's Ford character is like who I want to be as an old guy where he's just like, ah, I know what I like and I'm done with all you people. And he's really kind of snarky to everyone. And that's how I sort of feel when I say stuff like I don't know what the cinephiles on Twitter are going to do when Letterboxd is down. right? <laughs> but um, So here are the seven movies I've seen so far this year ranked from worst to best.
2: Megan. Missing,
1: Your Place or Mine. Oh, it's, uh, it's back up. Okay, good. All right. So from, uh, from worst to best, and I'll tell you the first four are two stars. So Megan, two stars. Missing, two stars. Your Place or Mine, two stars. You People, two stars. And then uh, Shotgun Wedding, two and a half stars. 80 for Brady, two and a half stars. And Knock at the Cabin three and a half stars. Now for a few of these, I want to highlight and I want to read my one sentence reviews. So for you people, I want to highlight this because I was disappointed in this film because it's, it's a Judd Apatow style movie written by one of the stars, Jonah Hill. And there was some good stuff in it, but just the way it ended. So you People introduces itself as the next great entry in the Apatow-style comedy photography before gradually eroding into surface-level social commentary that's underscored by a completely unearned resolution. And then I say the key detail of this movie is the word individual is said exactly once in the entire movie. This is the movie about an interracial relationship in Los Angeles between Jonah Hill's Jewish character and a black woman. And there's a lot played up here about how how they have a relationship, can they have a relationship? And how do you do that entire movie, William, without saying the word individual until the very end? Hmm. Yeah. So that was disappointing. And then 80 for Brady. Uh, so obviously I can't be completely objective with this review, right? And that's kind of the thing. While it would be accurate to describe 80 for Brady as a road trip movie sandwiched in the middle of a football movie the film is better understood as a love letter to the GOAT's mother, Galen Brady. So basically what happens is these women who became football fans because of Tom Brady, uh, one of them thinks her cancer is going to relapse, and they go on a whole road trip because of it to go to the 28-3 to 3 Super Bowl. And uh, obviously at that time, Tom Brady's mother had cancer and was fighting cancer, and there's was actually shot at the end of the movie where during the celebration from a scene of tom brady hugging his mother after winning to the character who who has cancer so that's very intentionally the point of the movie if you understand but the road trip movie is kind of like you know, when we watched the trailer kind of like i was saying disappointing in the sense like they rely on drugs and alcohol and sex humor but if you actually just watch the beginning and end, all the stuff about being a fan at both home watching the games and in the the Super Bowl, being there and being a Patriots fan, it's actually a pretty cool sort of retelling of what happened. So that was entertaining. But again, it's two and a half out of five. It's not that great. Now, the best movie I've seen so far this year, Knock at the Cabin, three and a half stars. M. Night Shyamalan remake signs with less alien invasion and more post-millennial newsfeed paranoia. So if you look at Knock at the Cabin and you see it as a response to this idea that we're all being told we need to sacrifice for the greater good because the world's coming to an end, how would we deal with being asked to make that choice with being overstimulated? And how do we know if that choice is real or not? Because it really does play into... You know, you may say, why are the two main characters gay? Well, M. Night makes it work because they're confronted by four people saying, hey, you know, the world's going to end and you need to sacrifice one of your family in order to prevent the apocalypse. And then you find out, well, one of those four people once attacked one of the, the two gay men in the relationship in a bar in Boston. So it plays into that. Like, is this on purpose is this intentional are they messing with us or not then we have things about internet conspiracy theories then we have things about twisting what's on the news and what's being reported to fit your narrative so there's a lot of interesting stuff here although if you're looking for a purely atheistic purely you know rational not rationalism movie you're not going to you're not going to get that in the same way you're not going to get it with Signs, but Signs is still a good narrative and still well made and it's the perspective of, you know, an alien invasion from one family's perspective, and this is the same thing. This is all of our global hysteria, all of our global panic, all of our information era conspiracy theories and paranoia from the perspective of one family. And for that it's it's enjoyable. It's not my favorite M Night movie. It's not, you know, the worst one he's made. It's hard to be worse than his adaptation of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. Although I haven't seen After Earth, it's the only one I haven't seen by him. But it is worth seeing, and it is it is enjoyable. You know, not to say it's it's a glass movie. You know, it's the movie Glass. And on that note, the the final thing I'd like to say before we move on to trailer takedowns, and William, if you'd like to respond to any of what I've said, feel free. Is interestingly it looks like Glass is the last movie Bruce Willis made before he was aware of his oncoming dementia, which news stories have just come out about. So I think it's sort of fitting and poignant that Glass is Bruce Willis's last last serious movie, and I mourn ahead of time his death because his career has now ended and the enjoyment
2: I can get from Bruce Willis's life
1: has passed. Except if I go back and rewatch stuff he's made, there will be Mm -hmm. no nothing new artistically. Right. And that's, that's something to mourn. And I just hope that his final years aren't filled with too much suffering because to me, if you look at not just to the art he's made, but reading stuff about M night recently, Bruce Willis is apparently the person who really pushed him where he's worked outside the studio system and nobody was paying attention to him. But Bruce Willis pushed him. Bruce Willis pushed Tarantino to the eyes of the studio and made studios pay attention to them. And that's why those two directors with such unique voices are able to be successful and make movies nowadays. I think that that speaks to not just Bruce Willis's artistic character, but his integrity as a
2: person. Yeah, definitely. Well, Justin, I wanted to say what I was watching over the break. Um, Yeah, go ahead. I want to hear about it. Yeah, so I don't
0: know if you've watched yet, but uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, Jeremy Clarkson has a series called Clarkson's Farm. Uh, Season two dropped over the break, and... It's as excellent as season one. So in season one, we followed the capers of Jeremy Clarkson trying to run his farm, and one of the main characters, uh, Caleb Cooper, he's a, a farm worker from the area, is the one that helps him out a lot. And uh, and uh, we start off the show. That he actually gets a farming award, uh, Jeremy and, and Caleb, because of uh, of the enti- like basically the entire farming community in the UK is just uh, bonkers over the show. That's such an honest portrayal of of the struggles that it is to run a farm in, in the UK and Justin season two is a banger. Um, basically they figure out that the only way that they're going to make any money with the farm is to open a restaurant. And so they start to, you know, that they start, they bring some cows on the farm. They, they do some, uh, uh, some, some work to think about like what building on the farm that they could turn into a restaurant, but, uh, they are completely stymied by the UK's red tape. Justin, it is absolutely Bonkers. Now, I grew up in in a farming community. You know, my dad leased out our land to a local farmer. Um, The stuff that they had to... The the town council blocked them from putting a, like, pack stone on making a farm trail on their farm, just out of spite. It's crazy. Like, that amount of just... Crazy lack of freedom is something that I think is something everyone should see. But to see them uh, and how they overcome that obstacle, which I won't spoil, you need to watch the series is, uh, is, uh, pretty inspiring and, and it has a great, the, the last episode is called Climax and it's really, really good. Like they do a great job. Of course, the cinematography is excellent. These are the same guys from Top Gear back in the day, the same producer, I forget his name, and, and, and the producer from Grand Tour that, that's a stunning, it's almost like watching a nature documentary at times, the way they're able to capture all the local beauty and the farm and, and, and the, the animals and the, and the wildlife and stuff. It's um, it's, it's great. And, and it's man, what a Testament to, uh, to individualism and freedom and trying to, trying to overcome all this, uh all this entire like bureaucratic nightmare and hearing from the other local farmers and, and then being so inspired by like, Oh, the, they can they're they're going to contribute food to this restaurant. And then the local council saying, no, this will blight the community. And it, it's crazy to to see in such concrete detail the hypocrisy of saying, oh, we support farmers, except for we're not going to let you do anything that would actually let you, you know, survive. It's 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 a incredible story. And this is only season two. I can't wait. I'm on the edge of my seat to see what happens this year on on Clarkson's farms. But we'll have to wait till uh, next spring for that.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear in what you said that they are actually shown overcoming because, you know, one of my things about like Chernobyl was it's a a great show, but I just didn't want to watch a tragedy for six episodes. So I'm glad to hear that it's well done and and um, that they actually showed them overcoming. So that makes me more likely to watch that.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's only 8 episodes a season. Um and I'm telling you once you start you will just be drawn in especially if you like um uh you know Clarkson's kind of humor and his self-deprecating um humor and they have tremendous respect for the for Caleb uh the 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 guy that that runs the farm. He is so intelligent like he's uh and so good at farming uh and then but then also doesn't know what NASA is. And so there's just tons of humor about things like that. He has never flown anywhere. He's never driven um, outside of the county right like j- just all these you know these crazy things and it's uh, you know it reminds me a lot of uh, of how i grew up there were a lot of people in my town like that
2: all right so that's some stuff that's
1: out and we'll continue to talk about stuff that's released as the year goes on so let's preview some things that are going to come out Put the trailers in Discord usually the Saturday before we record. That's so if you want to watch them before we record or after you listen to the episode or while you're watching or listening to the episode, you watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Extrapolations is a dystopian future film, future forecasting film about what will happen to the world with climate change. This is pure panic porn. This is what I was referring to when I was talking about all of the media that influenced knock at the cabin. Right. And there is one line in this trailer, William, that absolutely drives me up a fucking wall. At one point, I believe it's Kit Harrington's character says, you don't know what's going to happen. So then why are we making a movie about fictionalizing What's going to happen? Is this framed as a possible future? I don't think so, because this is called extrapolations. As in, they're extrapolating all the things that could and likely will happen due to our mistreatment of or ignoring climate change. That is so beyond tone deaf that I can't think of a way to... Give this a harder tackle, because you know what? I do know what's going to happen. This movie is going to suck. Tackle. Ugh, tackle.
0: Yep, Justin, uh, I, I, too, uh, was triggered by that. Triggered, I'm putting in quotes, of course. The thing that I want. No, to No, I think that's on...
1: legitimate triggering. That's legitimate <laughs> triggering.
0: The thing I want to comment on is, is the complete disregard for the fact that technology is the answer to this problem. Right. They talk about, but, oh, but we've landed on too. Mars. Yeah, that, yeah, we've landed on Mars. We've done all this stuff. Oh, but we could use technology to fix this. But we don't know what will happen if we do. And it's like, yeah, we do. We have a history. We can look back at history and see that we are now safer from climate than we've ever been before uh, on this planet. But no, no, we're just going to disregard science and technology and and human ingenuity. And all, you have know, the years and years of predictions. I think we were supposed to, Ehrlich said we were supposed to die in 2000. And yet here we are. Um, but we don't care about those things. We're gonna, we're going to, like you said, this is just, uh, this is a, this is not just like climate porn or, or disaster porn. This is virtue signaling, disaster porn, right? You think all these stars got together uh, because Apple paid them? Not just that, they get to be in this virtuous movie together, right? Oh man, this just looks disgusting. I think I'll tackle.
1: Tackle. Second trailer. Love Again is a romantic comedy starring one of the Jonas Brothers girlfriends. Right? And that's, I mean, her last name's Chopra. I think I don't remember her first name. I don't care. Look. I I don't care. Right? And I I say that in the most sort of benevolent way possible. The premise of this movie is this woman's boyfriend dies. And she still texts his number, except his number is given to somebody for his new work phone and he falls in love with her via the texting and then he finds a way for them to be together he never actually responds to the text he just reads them this is kind of like a quirky premise for the year uh, 2023 you know because she starts dating again even though she you know isn't ready and then obviously she's going to have to deal with that like choosing to be with this guy versus that guy might I end up seeing this maybe because my wife wants to see it but the pro- the the problem with all these rom-coms, and it's the same thing with, like, the ones I reviewed, talk about, like, Your Place or Mine, or Shotgun Wedding, which looked like it had some pro- premise, or premise, promise with its premise and then never made good with it, is it's the same thing. Like, there's not any actual tension because it's, like, no matter how weird or toxic things get, like, they still end up together. And the idea that she's texting this dead guy who actually turns out to be a, a real guy who's not, the dead guy she thinks it was and then he essentially stalks her because of it and they still end up together it's just like it's so ridiculous that you can't take any of this seriously the cinematography looks good it doesn't look like it's terribly made it's like just like the the nicest like patting a little kid on the head tackle tackle good job jimmy (laughs) yeah uh
0: i think i giggled at one thing and i don't even remember what it was But, so that's a, that's, 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 that's a a positive phrase, right, usually, for me. But, yeah, this just looked, it, I was creeped out by the premise a little bit, Justin, so I don't think I could sit through this,
2: so I will tackle. Tackle.
1: Third trailer. One True Love's is a variation on the last premise, except worse, alright? And I say that because I included this, William, because Holy fucking shit, there's one part of this entire premise that annoys the fuck out of me. All right. So, what happens is this woman marries a guy who is like an explorer. And then, after they get married, his helicopter goes down somewhere near Alaska. She then doesn't date for a few years, finally starts dating. Like, they make it seem like it's like three years later or something, but it's like it's more than two years, right? more than two years is at least three and she falls in love with the guy who played shang chi in the, the marvel movie and they're engaged and then she gets a phone call from her husband who is somehow still alive even though she got the death certificate the government declared him dead three or more years later her husband is still alive what the fuck Like, this is the year 2023. How is he off the grid for three years? Even if somehow he landed in the ocean, had to swim and walk back to civilization, he could get to a cell phone in Alaska in under three years. This premise is so convoluted. It's so going out of their way to make this thing work. That it doesn't work at all. At least the last one I can go, okay, the premise is a little weird, but, you know, it's not outside the complete realm of, like, possibility. The idea that this guy was dead for at least three years, but somehow actually still alive in the year 2023, is a stupid fucking premise. Tackle.
2: Tackle. I, I couldn't put
0: my finger on it, but this one seems a little bit more on the, uh, like, on the scale of toxic femininity, this one seemed a little more closer to a toxic feminist sort of view of men and, and sort of playing with them, at least for me. Like, why, like, can you imagine being engaged to someone and then, like, forget the premise of it being, like, they're lost, right? or Or presumed dead. Like, and then, like, going back to your ex, right? Like, this this would be your ex, right? You're, you've already gone through all the psychological stuff of putting this person behind you, right? Yes. Or at least, presumably. I don't know. This just yes. seems so gross. I
1: don't know. Ladies, explain this to me. Tackle. Tackle. Final trailer. Tetris is the Apple TV Plus or the Apple TV. I don't know. Do we need to say the Plus anymore? I'm so sick of the Plus. Just the Apple TV will do. Okay. Apple TV. Is the Apple TV retelling of the story of Tetris. Now, I found this trailer fascinating. and I want to be clear. Just because I found the trailer fascinating doesn't mean I found the movie desirable to watch. But I found the trailer fascinating for two reasons. One, I learned two things from this trailer. And two, this trailer is like two different movies. So, first of all, the two things I learned. One... Uh, I finally learned what Tetris means. I had no idea Tetris meant Tetra, meaning four, and tennis together. Uh, I'm still not sure how it's tennis. I guess it's tennis because every time you place a block, a new one gets volleyed to you by the computer. But at least I know where the name Tetris came from now. And two, the second thing I learned is I never knew why in the original Tetris on Nintendo, like, the art was, like, randomly Russian. And the, the music was randomly Russian. Do you remember that, William? Yeah, Where you yeah. play it and, like, be the Kremlin there, and you're like, why yeah. the fuck is Russia in here? I never knew as a kid. I knew it was Russia, but I never knew. Now I know because of this movie. So I guess that's a good thing. But here's yeah. the problem. The first half is all about the origins of Tetris, and the second half becomes, like, this weird, like... It's like a spy movie. Right. It's a Cold War era spy movie, which I mean, would be cool if made in the eighties, but I'm really worried this is going to become like an anti-capitalist movie because there's a line in there where it's like, all you care about is the money. Well, it's like, yeah, this guy sees something good and wants to make money off of it. And you get a chance to make your thing good. So somehow I'm worried this might have sympathy for the Soviet union. 'Cause the Americans exploited them during the Cold War? And it's just no. So thank you for teaching me things, but no, tackle.
2: Tackle. I'm
0: torn because this movie the first half of this movie looks interesting, but that like you talked about, the second movie looks contrived to me. And I don't know the real real story. I knew I knew that um Tetris came from Russia. I I did know that. But um, I don't know anything about this story, so I don't know. I, I, I think I'm going to Netflix and Hug this only because I want to see what they're doing. I'm more curious about like how they're going to make this movie work, and it could just end up being a disaster of two movies stitched together, but hey, maybe that will be enjoyable. So, Netflix and Hug. Netflix and Hug.
1: Well, William, I don't know if you noticed, I triggered the four tackle rule. Oh, baby, so which one? I'm holding a gun to your head. Well, it has to be Tetris. I mean, it's yeah. the only one that seems like it'd be bearable to watch. Also, Taron Egerton's in it, and I, I think he's doing the best he can with the material in the trailer. I, so, I know I, I know, you can't say this about A24 movies uh, all the time,
0: but at least with the Apple TV movies, the cinematography will be good, the, the, the pacing is usually good. So even if it's a bad story or boring, at least it, it, the production value is pretty good.
1: Yeah, and... Taron Egerton is rapidly becoming one of my favorite actors. So there's always that. And, you know, he's developing a relationship with Apple TV. So and now I have Apple TV because we're watching things like shrinking and Ted Lasso. So I'll probably I, I probably will honestly watch this at some point. That brings us to the end of our first trip of 2023. What did we learn, William?
0: I learned that uh, some of the most productive time of the year is uh, in between seasons, and I can't wait to uh, deliver an awesome season this year. What did you learn, Justin?
1: I learned that the need to witness the farce will continue on forever. That it is the, uh, the battle of
2: human existence. We will never reach peak farce.
1: All right, I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. Without you, this would just be me talking like a crazy person in the corner of my closet while I'm delirious after wrestling tournaments. I mean, it still is that, but you make me feel a little bit better about myself. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store, picking up some merch, midside.com slash the cut, picking up my book, the midside.com slash Patreon or locals and supporting the show per episode or per month. That's how we keep the lights on. And, of course, the best way to tell a friend is... Or so the best way to tell a friend. Wow. <laughs> the, a little rusty, huh, Justin? <laughs> a little rusty, and it's because I was, I was already setting up a joke in my head, so I was a little far ahead of myself. The best way to grow the show is to tell a friend, specifically a female friend. And we don't care if it's gender, sex, what they're assigned at birth, because... If they identify as female, they're gonna probably play into those socially constructed roles. I know it's ironic it makes no sense, but that's how we can grow the show. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emmazeski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce Have an extrapolation free day.
0: Justin, maybe now that you have Apple TV, I can get you to watch C.
1: Jason Momoa. Maybe, but that's that's so far on my list, man. Yeah, I know. They're both good, but like, I don't know, man. There's so much
2: on my list to watch.